ইসলাম As is the norm, we have two topics uh, for you today. The first one is about heart health, today being the World Heart Day. So we shall be talking about that for the next hour. And then from 5 p.m. onwards, we shall talk about justice and the need for absolute justice and nothing short of that in the desperate need, I should say, of absolute justice in the world today. So we shall discuss that. We've got a back show for you. We have um, a few experts that uh, we will be talking to. Uh, however, please do. And this is a live show. So do call in to participate in the show by calling the number 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. So, right. So, as I said, World Heart, Heart Day is, observed, is being observed today, 29th of September, highlighting the importance of heart health. Um, according to an NHS report released earlier this month, nearly one in two adults in England do not feel confident in spotting the signs of a heart attack. Cardiovascular disease is the world's number one killer. Combined conditions affecting the heart or blood vessels such as heart attack, stroke and heart failure kill more than 20 million people annually. Adopting heart-healthy lifestyle encompassing exercise, balanced nutrition, stress management and quitting smoking along with maintaining a balanced diet, rich in fruits, vegetables, whole grain, lean protein and healthy fats can significantly enhance heart health and reduce the risk of heart disease. Allah says in the Holy Quran, O children of Adam, Look to your adornment every time and place of worship and eat and drink but exceed not the bounds. Surely he does not love those who exceed the bounds. Chapter 7, verse 32. So according to the Quran, heart is not merely a physical organ, but also a receptacle of emotions and thoughts and feelings. So let's um, uh, progress with this discussion today on the importance of heart health. The founder of the MDM Muslim community says, 
so far as our acting uh, so far as our eating drinking sleeping and waking are concerned they are essential physical actions and they affect our spiritual well-being our physical figure is manifestly related to our humanity the relationship between body and soul is such that one cannot explain it easily careful observation shows the body is the mother of the soul this is in the book he wrote um, philosophy of the teachings of islam which uh, if you haven't read i would strongly recommend that um, amazing book that he wrote uh, more than 100 and uh, close to 140 years ago um and um, this particular quote was from page 21 of that book if you don't know how to access that book please go to um www.alislam.org and you can go to the book sections and download this book it's called once again philosophy of the teachings of islam right so what do we need to do how do we detect early warning signs so the first thing to do is shouldn't delay seeking assistance if you encounter any indications of a heart attack while some heart attacks strike suddenly and forcefully others initiate gradually with mild pain or discomfort in the chest uh, or even in your arm just discomfort um, most heart, heart attacks manifest as discomfort in the center of the chest that persists for several minutes or it may dissipate uh, and then reoccur it may feel like uncomfortable pressure tightness fullness or pain discomfort in other areas of the upper body symptoms can encompass pain or discomfort in one or both arms the back neck jaw or even your abdomen shortness of breath is uh, is a good sign as well so this can manifest with or without uh, chest comfort um additional potential signs comprise of um, suddenly breaking out in a cold sweat experiencing nausea or feeling lightheaded so the uk as we all know has a universal healthcare system the nhs which provides healthcare services to all residents um uh, disparities in health outcomes including those related to cardiovascular diseases can be influenced by factors um, according to the nhs such as income inequality education employment opportunities housing conditions and environmental factors these issues can affect individuals overall health and well-being even within a system that provides universal healthcare for example they may limit their ability to afford medications home blood pressure devices or preventive services such as cardiac rehabilitation accessing support for overcoming nicotine dependence for example um engaging even in uh, say physical exercise or uh, the ability to breathe clean air free from smoke and particle pollution so heart health involves must involve a holistic approach including heart healthy habits which are regular physical activity managing your stress which actually physical activity helps with addressing and addressing um, your uh, genetic risk factors if you have any by doing so individuals can lower the risk of heart issues and enhance their overall well-being let's now go to um, an interview we conducted earlier with Ruth um, Ruth Kos who is a senior cardiac nurse at the British Heart Foundation 
And we started, my colleague started off the interview by asking her, why should we prioritize heart health? Let's listen in. So today is World Heart Day. Um, it's a day that's dedicated to raising awareness of heart diseases and how to prevent them. And this year's theme is to use your heart and know your heart. So we're encouraging people to be aware of their heart health. Further to this, this September, BHF is wanting to shine a spotlight on heart and circulatory conditions, some of which can go undiagnosed for too long and then they aren't discovered until something goes wrong or it becomes too late. Right now in the UK, we estimate that over half of us will get a heart or circulatory condition at some point in our lifetime. Today, around 460 people will die from a heart and circulatory disease in this country, and that's one death every three minutes, which is a very sobering statistic, and 130 of them will be younger than 75. But the good news is, thanks to decades of amazing research led by pioneering scientists and doctors, we know the best ways to sort of lower your chances of getting these diseases. Great. So what are some engaging and effective strategies for enhancing our heart health? So the good news is there's lots of things that you can do and they don't cost any money. It's about small changes that you can incorporate into your day to day life. So first thing is sort of getting moving. It's no secret that exercise is beneficial for your heart and it's never too late to get active. To keep your heart healthy, the guidelines say you should aim for 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity a week. And for some people, this might seem a lot, but it can be broken down into short 10 minute sessions throughout the day, which easily adds up to your um, recommended amounts. Moderate intensity activities should make you feel warmer. You might breathe a little bit harder and your heart rate might go faster than usual, but you should be able to have a conversation while doing them. Some types of activities that you consider doing are maybe brisk walking or cycling, but it's important to remember that any movement is good movement. So even if it's going for a walk, going around the garden, say it's like housework day and you're going to be like walking around cleaning things and hoovering, that's all really good. That's all really going to help like be beneficial to the heart because you're working it. You're working that muscle and that will help reduce your risk of developing any conditions. If you already have a heart or circulatory condition, Make sure you speak to your GP if you've got any concerns about what sort of exercise is right for you. Something else people could do is sort of looking at their diet. So eating a healthy, balanced diet can help reduce several of the risk factors for heart and circulatory diseases, which would help you maintain a healthy weight and then manage your cholesterol levels. As we know, having a high cholesterol can be um, a risk factor for developing heart and circulatory conditions. Mm -hmm. So a healthy, balanced diet includes eating plenty of fruit and vegetables, whole grains and high fibre starchy foods, beans, pulses, fish, low-fat dairy or calcium-fortified um, plant-based alternatives if, if you're not in taking any dairy. So they're all small changes that you can make. What's important is to think about what you can add to your diet rather than thinking about what you can take away. It's much easier to think of things that you can put in than thinking about things that you may have to avoid. True. Something else that you might want to think about is sort of knowing your numbers. So although symptomless things like high blood pressure and high cholesterol are associated with tens of thousands of heart attacks and strokes in the UK each year, occasionally there can be inherited factors which can cause these conditions, but they can also be caused by things you can control. So 
like living with overweight or obesity, not doing enough exercise and eating too much saturated fats can cause high blood pressure and higher cholesterol levels. So by eating a healthy balanced diet, getting active and looking at other lifestyle factors like smoking can really help you control these and reduce your risk of developing a heart or circulatory condition. If you're worried or you want to look at knowing, like want to know what your numbers are, if you haven't been diagnosed with a condition, then you could think about checking in with your GP practice or seeing if you can get a blood pressure check done at a local pharmacy or a gym and see see what other information and support they can offer you. Thank you for that. So Ruth, um, what um, um, I would like to know if you're concerned about your heart health or just curious, what options are available to explore and ensure your heart's health uh, and well-being? Absolutely. It can, it's normal to be concerned. It can be a very sort of frightening thing to think about like, oh, have I got this something going on? And the first thing that we would encourage is sort of open conversations with family and friends about your health so that you feel that you're being taken more seriously and not brushed under the rug. And by having your family and friends support, they can support you in the simple things sort of as maybe going for a walk with you, help supporting you making sort of dietary changes, or even going to the doctors and getting your heart checked out. If you find that this might be a little bit more difficult, you can like go directly to your GP or, or one of your healthcare providers and they'll be able to look at your individual risk factors with you and see, see what changes that would benefit you on sort of a more personalised um, level. We've spoken about sort of knowing your numbers in, in, in the previous question, but other things that you might want to think about sort of your family history. Um, a family history of heart disease and stroke can put you at greater risk of developing them. Um, so if you have a family history of heart and circulatory diseases, speak to your GP. Um, many people who go to hospital with heart attacks and strokes may say that there's they've never thought that they were at risk despite having close relatives affected by the condition. So it's important to know um, about other family members who may have them. And also knowing the symptoms of some of these so some of these um, heart conditions that come up, we're talking about like the hidden heart conditions that don't don't become a, you're, you're not aware you have it until sort of an event happens, so, something like a heart attack. Lots of people who have had a heart attack say it comes out of the blue. And that's why it's critical to know the symptoms of a heart attack so that you can act quickly if one happens. The most common signs of a heart attack are sort of chest pain or discomfort that happens suddenly and doesn't go away. It might feel like pressure or sort of a squeezing and heaviness in your chest. And some people report sort of pain spreading to your left and right arm or to your neck and jaw and your back. Feeling sick, sweaty and lightheaded or short of breath are also commonly reported symptoms. It will vary from person to person and last for different amounts of time and may appear sort of suddenly um, or something that's been a bit more gradual or, or just not going away. And the worst thing you can do is to ignore that and ignore the pain or try to walk off or, or dismiss it as something else. So if you think you're having a heart attack or you have any chest pain, like any severe chest pain, call 999 immediately. A heart attack is a medical emergency, so it's essential that you get seen by a doctor. Um, or a paramedic and taken into hospital as quickly as possible. Thank you for that. Um, Ruth, would you like to share some statistics that can shed light on the state of heart health in our communities and beyond? Absolutely. So at the moment, um, there's about 7.6 million people in the UK currently living with a heart or circulatory condition. Um, and we estimate that in the UK, more than half of us will develop one of these conditions in our lifetimes. 
Um, to put it into sort of more context with these hidden heart conditions, every eight minutes someone in the UK dies from coronary heart disease, the leading cause of a heart attack, and that's 180 people a day. And also it's estimated that 15 million people in the UK have high blood pressure, something that lots of people don't know about. More than 10 million people in the UK have been diagnosed with high blood pressure by the, their GP, but that means up to 4.8 million adults could be undiagnosed, which is why it's so important to know your risk factors and know your numbers. And it's also why awareness of these hidden heart conditions is so important. By shining a spotlight on them, people can be empowered to find out about what heart conditions they may be at risk of and then look after their heart health. So that was uh, Ruth Ross, who is a senior cardiac nurse at the British Heart Foundation, giving us a very holistic answer uh, to what can be done uh, and what needs to be done to maintain a healthy heart. Um, Heart health involves a holistic approach, as we were talking about, as Ruth was talking about as well, including heart-healthy eating, regular physical activity, stress management, and addressing risk factors. By doing so, individuals can lower the risk of heart issues and enhance their overall well-being as well. I'm reminded of a tradition of the Holy Prophet of Islam, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Hazrat Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who said, a man does not fill any vessel worse than his stomach. It is sufficient for the son of Adam to eat enough to keep him alive. If he must do so, then one-third for his food, one-third for his drink, and one-third for his air. This is mentioned in the book of Hadith called Tirmidhi. So, diet is very, very important. So, eating nutrient-rich fruits such as, um, um, such as apple, vegetables, whole grain, uh, also lean proteins, um, all, um, um, Things like avocados, nut, uh, avocados, nuts, um, as well as um, olive oil. Uh, reducing harmful substances also, uh, such as saturated trans fats, cholesterol, sodium, added sugars, and processed foods. Practicing portion control to prevent overeating and maintaining a healthy weight. Abstaining from alcohol to protect heart health as ex- alcohol can also damage the heart. Exercise is a vital component of heart health. So regular physical activity helps strengthen the heart muscles, enhance blood circulation, and assist in weight management. Aerobic exercises such as brisk walking, running, swimming, or cycling elevate the heart rate, delivering oxygen more efficiently throughout the body. Incorporating strength or resistance training can also build muscle, improve metabolism, and promote overall well-being. Additionally, practice like yoga, tai chi, also enhance flexibility and balance, further contributing to your overall fitness and heart health. Stress management is is another very, very important area which can actually help us um, having a healthy heart. So your state of mind is highlighted in a scientific uh, statement from the American Heart Association's Circulation General Journal has significant, um, uh, your state of mind, according to this journal, has a significant impact on physical health and can affect your chances of developing heart disease and stroke, either in a positive or a negative way. Employing techniques such as meditation, deep breathing exercises, 
mindfulness or progressive muscle relaxation can effectively alleviate stress. Additionally, adopting effective time management and organizational strategies can also reduce stress stemming from work, daily tasks, and responsibilities. Furthermore, nurturing positive relationships with friends and family provides crucial emotional support, helping to mitigate um, stress stresses in our life and contribute to overall heart well-being. Let's now go to our next interview, uh, which we conducted earlier with Dr. Mubashir Mumtaz, who is the Chief of Cardiovascular Surgery and also the Surgical Director of the Structural Heart Program at Harrisburg in Pennsylvania, US. So across the Atlantic, really. Uh, we spoke earlier with him, and we started the interview by asking him, why is heart disease still a leading cause of death globally, despite there being so much information about it? Let's listen in. That is true that heart disease continues to be the leading cause of death, but if historically you look at it, uh, coronary artery disease rose from relative obscurity in the late 19th century to take a devastating toll and then peak in 1960s as the leading, leading cause of death in the developing world at the time. Uh, and some also say that uh, it was the epidemic of the 20th century. However, the coronary artery uh, disease deaths have since decreased uh, almost 60% uh, from its peak in 1960. Um, so the increase was associated with uh, many factors, probably increase in smoking and dietary changes uh, with increased amount of wealth um, at that time. Uh, in addition, uh, with improvement in medicine, there was better capability to diagnose uh, heart disease with the start of the ECG uh, and everything in those days. So since that time, we've consistently seen a decrease. However, there is uh, concern that we will again see the rise of coronary artery disease in the future because the shift in our population uh, as we know that by uh, 2050, 70, uh, almost 78 million uh, Americans will be 65 years or older. Similarly, uh, it's uh, uh, natural to notice around ourselves, and we all know that uh, the epidemic of obesity is on the rise. Um, uh, and according to one estimate, 74% of adults in the United States are either overweight or obese. So this also increases the risk. Um, so so uh, despite uh, having significant improvement in medicine, technology, uh, we are seeing that heart disease is still one of the leading cause of death. However, as compared to historical data, um, we have seen significant decrease as well because of improvement uh, in education, in uh, diagnosis, and in treatment, uh, especially the, uh, what we call the fatality rate or death rate from heart disease with improved um, um, treatment options for this disease, whether it's uh, uh, medicines or placement of stents within blocked vessels or coronary artery bypass grafting, 
which improves survivability uh, in a lot of uh, these patients. So, uh, so I think continuing on, we we will continue to see improvement in science and technology and medicine to help us mitigate the risks of these diseases, right. as we have better understanding for its risk factors such as diabetes and um, obesity and others. Right. Okay. Well, heart health often reflects the balance between vulnerability and resilience. How can we draw parallels between the strength of the human heart and the resilience required to navigate life's challenges, both physically and emotionally? Yeah, that's a, that's a question that requires uh, some thinking to do. So in essence, uh, the resilience and strength of the human heart comes from its uh, endurance, uh, its adaptability, uh, its capability to recover, uh, and the fact uh, that there are flexibilities built within the heart. So for that matter, the entire human body is the miracle in itself as it has the capacity to regulate and repair itself. So just like if you start exercising, the heart adapts to the increased demands of oxygen supply uh, to the body. Similarly, we in life have to go through ups and downs and deal uh, with these demands accordingly. So mm -hmm. we can say that the heart is very adaptable from the standpoint of rarely complaining about the increased demands we put on it unless we do not care for it or do not build its capacity with exercise. Similarly, in life, we can increase our capabilities with better time management and improving our physical capacity mm -hmm. uh, in itself. Um, uh, that's how I see it. Mm -hmm. That's true. So, Dr. Antaz, the heart is a remarkable organ and um, with its own rhythm. From a philosophical standpoint, how does the concept of rhythm, both in the heartbeat and in life, inform our understanding of balance, harmony, and pursuit of well-being? Yeah, great question. So, not only the heart uh, uh, has its uh, own rhythm, we, we know that, we know now that the Essentially, the entire universe has a rhythm to itself. In quantum physics, there's a concept of wave-particle duality, uh, suggesting a kind of inherent rhythmic behavior at the smallest scales of matter. And it is not only that there is rhythm uh, uh, in the heart, but the heart has its own mechanism to create that rhythm, which we call uh, the pacemaker of the heart. It's called sinus node, the scientific term for it. and uh, uh, the way that rhythm is created is 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 at the molecular level um, because of some electrical charges that are built within these specialized cells inside the heart based on the sodium and potassium concentrations on either side of that cell wall. So in life, we need balance as in work, life, and jamaat, and this balance helps us achieve a routine such as, you know, an offering five daily prayers, going to work, etc., Right. Uh, which in terms helps create that harmony uh, in our life. So the five daily prayers help us in creating that harmony, just like the pacemaker within the heart helps create the heart rhythm. The prayers help create that rhythm in our daily life. And then, like I said before, uh, the entire universe is basically has a rhythm of its own. So True. 
So the modern lifestyle with its technological conveniences and inactive habits has been linked to an increase in heart disease. How might a shift in our relationship with technology and a return to more active, nature-connected living influence our heart health outcomes? Yeah, so I mean, as, as Muslims, we all know the sayings of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, uh, about moderation in whatever we do. So modern technology is here to help us, like anything else. Uh, if we allow the modern technology to control us, then yes, it will be detrimental to our mental and physical health and well-being. However, using modern technology wisely could help us broaden our horizons in terms of service to Allah and humanity and also keeping us healthy. So strictly in terms of heart health, modern technology has also brought us new ways of monitoring our hearts and body while we exercise. Um, and uh, Or we can choose to be on the internet or watch television all day, all day. Or we can also choose to watch television, preferably MTA, while we're exercising. So it all depends on how we choose to use that modern technology in mm. our favor. That is true. Um, my last question to you is, how can we better educate and inspire the younger generation about the importance of heart health and healthy lifestyle choices? Um, do you have any strategies and initiatives um, that you can share that we can implement to ensure that children grow up with a strong awareness of cardiovascular well-being? Yeah, so I mean, if you look around, uh, uh, for example, you know, uh, I know that, they, you know, I have four children um, and I know that in their schools, they're taught about heart health and not smoking and other hazards of drugs and other things that can affect your heart health. But what I believe uh, is most important um, is, um, as what we've learned from our faith, is to put a good example uh, and that starts within our homes. Uh, as we have seen that we can teach kids in school uh, what could be detrimental to them or not, but they might not adhere to it uh, during their life. So education and awareness is important, but also what is important is providing them a great example to follow um, uh, by their parents. So Holy Prophet has said that best people are those uh, with the most excellent character and your health also helps in building that character yeah. and then leading up uh, that example to your kids. So Huzur um, at one occasion had advised Murabiyan about the importance of exercise and said that the only reason I, I'm advising you is that I myself regularly exercise. So I think uh, along with the the education in schools and the awareness in our homes um, and discussing the uh, benefits um, of various foods or habits that we develop at home, we have to work on actually showing them how those habits uh, work in real life. So that was uh, Dr. Mubashar Mumtaz, uh, all the way from across the Atlantic, uh, who spoke with my colleague earlier. He is the Surgical Director of the Structural Heart Program in Harrisburg in Pennsylvania. Right, so 
Dr. Mubashir was also talking about um, healthy habits and uh, the importance of maintaining healthy habits. So what are some of the lifestyle changes that we can actually make to uh, maintain a healthy heart? So uh, first, of course, as we were talking about earlier, and we spoke about that tradition of the Holy Prophet of Islam as well, that um, uh, make healthy heart, uh, make healthy eating a part of your lifestyle. Um, also, not overeating is uh, is very very important. Um, we must also set attainable goals, such as um, um, uh, trying to stick with uh, uh, with. A particular routine that we may have, trying to stick with a particular exercise regimen that we uh, that we want to have. And they must be gradual uh, because uh, consistency is what matters. So whatever goals we set, they must be attainable. Having people around us who support our heart-healthy choices can also make a big difference. It's all about having friends and family and colleagues who, who cheer us up and, and help us stay on track. Uh, surrounding ourselves with with those people. Um, also, uh, it is important and crucial to ensure that we get regular checkups and health screenings. They help keep tabs on our, our health, spot possible problems early, and give us the information we need to make smart decisions about our well-being. And having a proactive approach. So it's a, it's a great idea to reach out to healthcare professionals, doctors, nutrition experts, because they can always provide you with personalized advice and support and help us reach our heart healthy goals. So these are some of the, uh, the lifestyle choices uh, that we can actually make to ensure that we keep a healthy heart, that we, um, uh, that we, um, are not uh, we don't put our heart in terms of stress and on on the word on the mention of that word stress we must also ensure that uh, yeah we we uh, we keep our stress levels manageable um exercise helps with that as well but also generally making sure that uh we take um life uh, only as seriously as um, as it needs and, and and not take more stress than we need to there is also a very important spiritual significance of heart health. So recent scientific research confirms that there is a strong link between mental state and physical well-being. Spiritual well-being influences physical health, as indicated by, uh, by many scientific findings now. So the heart, once viewed as a mere pump, responds actually to our emotional and spiritual state. Practices like repetitive prayer um, can help reduce heart rate, blood pressure, illustrating the impact of spirituality on physical health. A healthy heart contributes to a healthy mind and vice versa. Also, our thoughts mold our character, so we must control those thoughts, especially the negative ones. Our thoughts mold our character as well. So you must control them as well. Immoral thoughts lead to an immoral character, while virtuous thoughts promote virtue. A pure heart filled with love and understanding is praised in the Quran. 
So the Quran emphasizes that the heart is not only a physical organ, but also a repository of emotions and thoughts. So in chapter 10, verse 75, Allah the Almighty states, Thus do we seal the hearts of transgressors. A heart filled with negativity becomes a haven for negative influences. Hearts characterized by disbelief, doubt and malice are sealed as per Quranic verse. So in chapter 8, verse 12, Allah states, I will cause terror into the hearts of those who disbelieve. The Quran emphasizes that human heart is the core of emotions, spirituality and connection with the divine. Lo, it is in the remembrance of Allah that hearts can find comfort. This is chapter 13, verse 28. The Promised Messiah, the holy founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, stated that righteousness is the root of all virtue. The truth of the matter is that one's heart is in good shape, that if one's heart is in good shape, then one's hands, feet, tongue, mind and eyes will be in good shape as well. This according to the Promised Messiah, the holy founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Right, let's now go uh, to our last guest uh, for this segment, who is Delia Campbell. Delia is a freelance dietitian and a part-time worker in the NHS. She is a British Dietetic Association media spokesperson as well, and has over 25 years of experience as a dietitian. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. Thank you so much for inviting me, especially with today being World Heart Day. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, and, and really a pleasure, um, so timely for us to speak to you. Right, so you may have uh, heard the discussion that we're having. We're trying to talk about a healthy heart. Um, um, and, and, you know, this World Heart Day, I don't know for how long we have been talking, we have been having this World Heart Day. And, uh, and yet the heart disease is still all prevalent. Why do you think that is? Yes, it's really difficult. I think, uh, you know, as dietitians, as you say, we've been talking about this for ages. We're, we're experts in nutrition, but I think we're also mindful of the importance of cultural aspects and, and, and of course, the, the many religious festivities that play a part. So we do try to tailor our advice accordingly. And so we take all of those factors, but we know that there is a genetic factor and we can't of course do anything about those genetic factors mm. but there are things we can do about lifestyle factors and so a lot of the time when it comes to heart disease unfortunately it's it's what we're eating and it's our levels of activity as well as those genetics that are affecting our risk of heart disease so there are things that we can do to keep our heart healthier which is the good news Absolutely. But do you think it is stress? Is it, it is really uh, stress that's around most of us these days that is actually leading to heart problems now? I mean, there's so many factors. Stress, mm. obviously, is, is one of those. We know that cholesterol has a, a huge impact on heart disease. Things like smoking will have an impact. Being overweight, we know that there are more people who are living with overweight or obesity, so that's having an impact. We know that although we've made some great improvements to our diet, we still don't tend to eat enough fiber, we don't tend to eat enough fruit and vegetables. 
we've reduced our fat intake, but we're still having quite a lot of saturated fats and quite a lot of sugar in our diet, quite a lot of processed foods. So there are certainly things that we can still do hmm. to help ourselves and to help our hearts. Right. So as a dietitian representing the British Dietetic Association, um, what are your insights on how British dietary habits uh, as well as cultural preferences impact heart uh, health today? Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, thinking about cultural aspects, there, there, you know, there may be lots of religious festivities and they mm. all play a part in our eating habits. And it depends how often these things, you know, how often we're getting together and sharing, you know, these lovely occasions. But unfortunately, what tends to happen is that these tend to be the times when we maybe have more of the high fat sugar foods. And, and whether it's the British diet as a whole or a more traditional diet, you know, unfortunately, snacks can be one of the main culprits as they're often high in total fat mm. and high in saturated fat. So, you know, it might be foods that are fried. So it could be samosas. It could be sweet treats equally. It could be snack foods like biscuits, cakes, and crisps. And, and whilst these provide very little nutrition, they're high in fat, particularly the saturated fats. And we know that saturated fats are not good for our, our diet because saturated fats raise the cholesterol level. And it's when that cholesterol builds up in our arteries and that affects blood flow. And of course, that can cause damage to, to our heart. So, there, you know, there's many components of the diet um, that are really healthy and are good, you know, lots of plant-based foods perhaps, but there's also quite a lot of foods that can be fried as well. So, Delia, uh, you would have obviously heard about uh, the keto diet, which is becoming uh, very yes. popular mm -hmm. these days. Um, people who practice that diet um, uh, say that it's uh, that fat is not fattening anymore. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's, uh, that's the right um, attitude? I think that's a complicated thing hmm. and you know all fats have different parts to I them. mean cheeses are, are are allowed in in keto diet many other sort yeah. of fats are allowed in keto diet as well yeah so so we know that um, when it comes to dairy fats they may be not as harmful as we used to perhaps once think they they are they seem to have a benefit hmm. and of course they provide a really good source of calcium as well um, but we do know, if we look at overall the evidence for the saturated fats of fatty meats, so the, the um, things like lard, um, clarified butter, so ghee, butter, coconut oil, uh, fatty meats, we know that these will raise cholesterol. So there are different components and some may not be as, as bad for our heart as we used to think. But overall, we know that having a high fat intake will raise cholesterol. So the overall guidance from, from dietitians, from the British Heart Foundation, from Heart UK, is really that we do need to try and reduce the saturated fat in our diet. We don't cut it out completely, um, and it may be that you, you, know, you keep some foods in that you enjoy, um, but maybe reduce some of the other ones. So it's not about making massive changes. It's about making small, sustainable changes and just tweaking things, and rather than having so much saturated fat we try and change for more unsaturated fat so having fats that come from things like oily fish from nuts seeds avocado those sorts of things which we know are healthier fats to have hmm. okay good to know that um does the british dietetic association 
uh, recommend any uh, any sort of a food plan, a daily food plan? Is what you can and what you can't eat? Um, so when it comes to food planning, you know, planning your meals is really important, and that really helps with healthier eating and with budget. And as I say, it's it's uh, not about making huge changes, but making small, manageable changes. When it comes to looking after your heart, um, there are some really good advice from the BDA. There's Food Facts and the British Heart Foundation and Heart UK have some great advice. Um, and there's something called the Ultimate Cholesterol Lowering Plan, and that looks at different aspects. So, for example, reducing saturated and having more unsaturated fats, like perhaps rapeseed oil, olive oil, including more plant-based foods. So your dals, your chickpeas, um, your lentils, these sorts of things that are good plant-based proteins that are lower in fat but contain lots of proteins as well. Having plenty of vegetables with your meals, including some fruit. Um, Also things like oats, beans, pulses, barley. Um, Particularly oats and barley have got something called beta-glucan, which we know can help sort of mop up cholesterol. And that's really good if you're trying to, you know, reduce your cholesterol. Oily fish is another thing that's really good because oily fish helps to reduce the stickiness of our blood. Mm-hmm. So if you do eat fish, trying to have uh, fish, you know, a couple of times a week, including some some oily fish, um, is good. And, and then the other thing that um, can be helpful is including some nuts. There's evidence that including nuts like pistachios, almonds, walnuts can actually help to reduce cholesterol. Um, So there are a number of things we can do and there's also um, something called plant stanols and sterols which you may have come across. Mm -hmm. These are plant-derived products and they're proven to help reduce cholesterol. Um, You can find them in yogurts, milk, spreads and and these Mm. little mini... Soy milk for example. Um, so, sorry, I beg your pardon? Soya milk, is, would that be one of them? Soya milk would be really useful. So we know that including soya protein, um, which is a plant-based protein, is really helpful in reducing cholesterol. The plant stanols and sterols that I'm talking about, things like Benicol and Flora Proactive, oh, and okay. they contain these plant sterols and they help to actually reduce cholesterol, so they bind it in the gut. Right. Are there any uh, particular groups within Britain, within our society, BAME, for example, um, uh, or Caucasian or, or others who uh, are more prone to heart disease here because of their their dietary habits? Do we have any evidence uh, to suggest that? We do. And partly it's down to dietary habits, mm. um, but partly it's just, you know, it, it's, it is those genetics. Um, and mm. what we do know is that the first generation South Asians are up to 50% higher risk of, you know, of getting heart disease. We know that there's an increased risk of diabetes as well. And that higher risk of diabetes means that there's also a higher risk of, of heart disease. So it, it is difficult. And, and when, when we look at the, the risk profiles, they may show higher cholesterol among um, people in the South Asian community, we check their genetics, but I think it's useful to know about those genetics because then we can do something about the lifestyle factors. We can make some changes to help reduce our risk. Do you think we have uh, 
we have much to learn from Southeast Asia, societies like Japan and, and Korea, where incidence of heart disease uh, is actually quite lower than here in the West? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because uh, different populations will have different diseases based on hmm. um, their different diets. And we know that um, those populations will include quite a lot of oily fish. Right. And we know that omega-3s that we find in oily fish are really beneficial. They can help increase the HDL, which is our healthy cholesterol, which helps to get rid of cholesterol takes it off to the liver where it's got rid of, and it also reduces the stickiness of our blood. So we know that um, those are really good, and we know that those population groups will also include quite a lot of plant-based proteins, particularly soya. So we know they're beneficial. We also know that the Mediterranean diet mm. is useful for heart because it's lots of the monounsaturated fats. So the unsaturated fats, avocados, nuts, seeds, it tends to have less meat. It tends to have plenty of fruit and vegetables and fiber containing foods. It, Can you, you give know, us some examples? The snacking. Sorry. I'm sorry about that. Can you give us some examples of Mediterranean diet that you were mentioning? Yeah, so a Mediterranean diet, so for example, would tend to be based around having olive oil hmm. and including healthy fats, so avocado, nuts and seeds. Um, people might find that if you're cooking, you may find that rapeseed is slightly easier to cook with than olive oil just because of the smoke point, so if hmm. you're cooking at a higher temperature. Um, but also the Mediterranean diet tends to have lots of different fruits and vegetables. So that would be another way to try and to get lots of fruit and vegetables alongside. So whether that's adding it into curries or having side dishes, having a side salad or having more vegetables, perhaps having fruit as dessert or as snacks rather than, you know, grabbing a packet of crisps or a chocolate bar. <laughs> of course. So fruits, vegetables, nuts, avocados, essentially uh, <laughs> um Avocado would be a vegetable, right? Or is it a fruit? Well, it's actually a fruit, but it's part of the fruit and vegetable group. <laughs> right, it's okay. quite high in fat, but it contains the healthier fat, unsaturated sure. fat. Yeah. And it's also got quite a lot of vitamin E and fiber as well. So well, I'm pretty good. Mm, excellent. Um, for those, Dahlia, who already may have heart issues, mm-hmm. what personalized dietary advice can you offer to help them manage their condition to prevent further problems? So I think if you're concerned about your heart and your diet, as dietitians, we can offer you know, very tailored advice, knowledge, the importance of your lifestyle and cultural preferences. So maybe do seek a referral to a registered dietitian. I would say following the key advice, so trying to Look at the types of fats that you're having and the total fat. Trying to be a healthy weight is always really good. Um, in terms of fat, you know, if you're deep frying, maybe think about grilling, baking, thinking about reducing the, the saturated fats, so the ghee and the butter. And again, as I say, it's not cutting them out, it's just reducing them. Having plenty of veg, having plenty of whole grains, so maybe choosing things like brown rice rather than white rice having less meat, more dal, beans, lentils, including some fish if you can, including some oats and barley, that's a good way of, of helping mop up that cholesterol, maybe even a handful of nuts, 
I mentioned about the plant sandals. They can be helpful, particularly if you have always got high cholesterol. Um, and I suppose the other thing is we haven't mentioned activity. Hmm. And, of course, exercise is a great way to keep our sure. heart healthy. You know, it gets the blood pumping, helps reduce blood pressure, improves the elasticity of those blood vessels. And, of course, it helps us feel good. It releases those endorphins, which is good at reducing stress. Hmm. Um, but, you know, it doesn't need to be going to the gym. You know, if you're not comfortable with that, there's um, things you can do at home. There's hmm. lots of short videos on the NHS. It could be going for a walk. Even if you can't manage the 30 minutes five times a week, which is the recommended amount, you can break it down. So maybe go for 15 minutes twice a day. That might be a more manageable way to start. Um, and I suppose one other thing would be just to keep an eye on your blood pressure and, and check that because we know that having too much salt is something that can increase blood pressure. So if we can try and you know, have less of the salty foods, use a bit less salt in, in what we're, we're cooking, have a little bit less of the processed foods, then that is another way of, of just trying to help protect our heart by reducing that, that salt intake. Um, As uh, somebody who's been looking at this um, um, and, and advising uh, in this field for the last 25 years, how do you think uh, we're trending? Is the is the trend of heart disease in Britain um, uh, trending up, upwards or downwards? So one of the things about um, heart disease is that we are so much better at treating it and preventing that. So we know that there are some improvements, um, and that is you know that is reducing. But there are some groups where we are seeing um, that actually, you know, we're, we're kind of lagging a little bit behind. Um, but, you know, there, there's so many improvements that, that we just need to make sure that we're more aware of it. And by being aware of our risk factors, I think there's so much that we can do rather than, than thinking about doing nothing and, and sticking our heads in the sand, perhaps. It's important to just, you know, be aware of our risk factors and check things like so have your cholesterol checked particularly mm. if you know as, as you get older check your blood pressure um, because that's one of those silent things that we may not have any knowledge that our blood pressure is high um, but it, it's an easy thing to have checked and it's an easy thing to do something about would you say that uh, cholesterol is still a silent killer in britain um in terms of cholesterol a lot of people don't necessarily know they have cholesterol. I think, you know, blood pressure is, is the one that's really known as the silent killer. In terms of cholesterol, that is often measured, but maybe it won't be measured until there's some reason to think that. So it might be that you go along for some sort of other check and your cholesterol is measured at, at that time. We should really be aiming to have our cholesterol levels under five, but we know that quite a lot of people will have cholesterol levels that are higher than that and if we generally look at having a healthy balanced diet including the food groups not having too much fat not snacking on on too many un unhealthy foods then hopefully we're doing as much as we can even if we don't necessarily know what our levels are but certainly you can you know if you're of, of the age where you're getting those health checks in your gps anyway um, it's just a case of getting a, a blood test done and it, it's a good way to have that checked and just keep an eye on things.
Sure. Daley Campbell, thank you so very much for joining us. So opportunate for us, uh, opportunity for us to do, spoken to you today, being the World Heart Day. So thanks very much. Um, this was very enlightening. Really enjoyed talking to you. Have a lovely weekend ahead. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. Peace be with you. Bye-bye. So that was uh, Delia Campbell, who is a freelance dietitian and also works part-time in the NHS. She is a British Dietetic Association media spokesperson as well and has over 25 years' experience as a dietitian. Right. Uh, so let's sum up this discussion um, that we've had with the last one hour uh, on healthy heart. So um, one way to sum up would be eat lots of fruits, vegetables, nuts, avocados, oats, exercise, manage your stress, and do medical um, checkups. Regular medical checkups and screenings are very important, and you must be aware of your genetic risk, risk factors as well. Uh, there is a lot of material out there, uh, British uh, Heart Foundation, British Dietetic Association, NHS. You can go on their website and actually find a lot of material which can actually help and guide you as well. But I want to end on this note between this huge um, connection between spirituality and the health of a heart. And I would like to repeat the quote from the Promised Messiah, the Holy Founder, of Ahmadiyya um, movement in Islam, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, who said that righteousness is the root of virtue. The truth of the matter is that if one's heart is in good shape, then one's hands, feet, tongue, mind and eyes will be in good shape as well. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much uh, for, stay, for staying tuned uh, uh, to this. We were talking about a healthy heart. Today is the World Heart Day. We've spoken to a number of guests. If you haven't had the opportunity to listen to the show, please do go into SoundCloud to listen to the recording. In the next one hour, we'll be shifting gears and we'll be talking about the need for absolute justice in the world. So do stay tuned. Five o'clock news is next. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of the Drive Time Show here from the Southland Studios of Voice of Islam. In the second hour, we will be talking about the need for justice and the need for the desperate need for absolute justice in the world, which seems to be missing. The 78th United Nations General Assembly session was held from September 28th to 26th. Uh, only until about a week ago. Despite being founded on the principles of protecting peace and security of the world, United Nations has proven to be largely ineffective in rectifying the errors of its predecessor, the League of Nations. Over the years, the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, has reflected pertinently on the role of United Nations in maintaining peace and justice in the world. 
He's previously noted the weaknesses of the League of Nations, which has led to the Second World War and urged world leaders to learn from its failures. Speaking to an audience of US legislators and politicians at Capitol Hill back in 2012, he said, Unfortunately, the rules of the League and the resolutions it passed had certain flaws and weaknesses, and so they did not properly protect the rights of all peoples and all nations equally. Consequently, as a result of the inequalities that existed, long-term peace could not prevail. His Holiness has explicitly highlighted the ongoing discrepancies in the implementation of global justice, referring to the functioning of United Nations as a reflection of the double standards between Western and African and Asian countries that continue to withhold the progress of poorer nations. Today, such disparities are the root cause of the strife in the world, he said. During his Capitol Hill speech, more than a decade ago, he discussed the United Nations' attempts to enable a better standing for developing nations on a global stage, stating, Despite these efforts, none of the poor countries have reached the stage or level of the developed nations. This failure can be attributed not only to corruption in developing nations, but also the selfish interests of developed nations which are contributing to intensifying frustration and stoking rebellion and internal disorder within underdeveloped countries. He said, and I quote, Today we find that there is division and separation between powerful and weaker nations. For example, in the United Nations we find that there is a distinction made between certain countries. Thus, in the Security Council, there are some permanent members and some non-permanent members. This division has proved to be an internal source of anxiety and frustration. And thus, we regularly hear reports of certain countries protesting against this inequality. Islam teaches absolute justice and equality in all matters. Nearly 11 years on, this statement remains true, with increasing wealth inequalities continuing to stir resentment. He further said, and I quote, At the United Nations, it should not be that, it should not be that certain countries wield undue power and influence, or that the permanent members of the Security Council care only for their own interests and utilize their veto power even where it is in conflict with the interests of the majority. His Holiness has, has since repeatedly emphasized the necessity of safeguarding global justice in order to establish lasting peace. In 2021, in a meeting with a Gambian journalist, he said, and I quote, In the case of worldly affairs, if there is no justice, there is no peace. If you have double standards, as we can see in today's world, shown by the big powers, they cannot maintain peace in the world. This is what happened when the League of Nations was formed. The League of Nations was formed to maintain justice and give equal rights to each and every nation, but it failed. Resultantly, resultantly there was an eruption of the Second World War. And the same is happening with the UN. They are not maintaining justice 
They have double standards for poor countries and for the rich countries, for Western countries and African and Asian countries. This is why you can see there is disturbance in the world today. So if there is no justice, there is no peace. Unquote. In order to fulfill its aims, reforms within, within the United Nations are vital. In a letter to United Nations General Secretary Antonio Guterres in 2020, His Holiness wrote, In my view, the preeminent means for United Nations to fulfill its founding objectives is for it to bring all nations of the world together on one platform in which each country is treated equally and without prejudice rather than bowing to the might and will of a select number of dominant world powers. At all times, the primary objective of the United Nations should be establish unity and trust amongst the nations of the world so that global peace may become a living reality rather than a distant dream. For this, it is essential that the, that the United Nations plays its role in ensuring that the rights of all nations are respected and valued. Only then will the people of the world be the recipients of the blessings and the favours of God Almighty. Unquote. United Nations was built with the hope of creating a peaceful and united world, yet the world appears increasingly fragmented and conflicted. Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the, the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, sheds light on these shortcomings, emphasizing the lack of justice and equality in the operations of United Nations. Today, many echo his concerns, questioning the legitimacy of UN as a symbol of global unity. To remain relevant, United Nations has to return to its founding values and adapt to an evolving world. As Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed stated, only through unity, trust and respect for the rights of all nations can global peace transition from being a distant dream to a living reality, allowing the world to receive the blessings and favours of God Almighty, something that seems to be missing from the world today. In chapter 4, verse 59, Allah the Almighty states, Verily, Allah commands you to make over the trusts to those entitled to them and that when you judge between men, you judge with justice. And surely excellent is that with which Allah admonishes you. Allah is all hearing, all seeing. Chapter 4, verse 59. So injustice is the enduring and, and pervasive issue that plagues societies all across the globe today. In this show, we want to talk about the root causes of injustice, its far-reaching consequences and solutions presented by political experts, economists, to address this pressing concern. However, if we are honest with ourselves, there is nothing new these experts can bring to the table which hasn't been tried and tested before. Injustice in myriad forms still remains a stark reality in today's world, despite the fact that mankind saw two world wars. It, it transcends geographical, cultural and socio-economic boundaries, affecting individuals and communities in countless ways. Yet, 
we have failed to head into the right direction and eliminate injustice in its various forms and shapes. In contrary, the future does not look very bright. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. The West is at loggerheads with the East. The East is at war with its own. Africa and South America is being robbed by those who can get away with it. And the prospect of a third world war are looming large. At this point, I would like to introduce you to someone who's given invaluable advice to the world if they want a solution to these problems. Somebody I've just quoted as well. A man who is not a politician, not a statement, not an economist, or any PhD or professor for any of the Ivy League universities. However, he is the man who didn't come up with all the solutions on his own. His answers were given to him by being the world it's by a being the world is trying to run away from and as quickly as they can. Yes, God and none other than God. And that man was the founder of Islam, Hazrat Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him who lived over 15 around 1500 years ago and who left a legacy that carries the answers to all the issues we are facing today. In this day and age, as Ahmadi Muslims, we believe it was the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, who was to revive that legacy again, a legacy even those who call themselves followers of the Muhammad, of Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be on him, had forgotten. But more specifically, it is his fifth successor, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, who I quoted earlier, who's been educating and warning the world for the past two decades that in order to achieve such a world where the rights of all are taken into consideration, we must turn to our Creator and we must establish a world full of justice and absolute justice alone. Let me now go to our first guest for this segment who is an imam within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Imam Ali Mahmood. He is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community serving in Ghana at the moment. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome, Imam um, Mahmood, to the Drive Time Show. Thank you very much. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa So Imam Mahmood, if I can start off uh, by a sort of a rhetorical question. So, you know, here we are, a Muslim radio station talking about justice and how to establish that. Yet when we look around, there's so many Muslim countries in conflict with each other because of corruption, dishonesty, and so many other things. Why do you think is that? <laughs> That's, uh, I think, uh, it's a very interesting thing, and uh, this is exactly what uh, others always look at uh, Muslims, and for that matter, you can say Islam. But uh, it's, a, it's a very painful fact that uh, Islam, which means peace and uh, which is which stands for peace, and uh, or you can say that the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu was the Prince of Peace, and the followers are engaged in such you know acts that uh, do not you know go well with others, and uh, they are bound to you know what do you call it. Uh, call names for Muslims. It's a very painful fact. And the reason is very simple, you know. 
<clears throat> the thing is that when you when you have uh, a certain you know medical attention that you want, then you go to a doctor and the good doctor prescribe you a medicine, and you refuse to take that medicine, then obviously you will still suffer with the with the with the illness or sickness for for which you went to the doctor, because Islam is a peaceful religion and Islam is based on the principles of freedom of belief and freedom of conscience. And categorically states that there is no compulsion whatsoever in religion. And Islam respects other religions, they accommodates other faiths. Even if they do not believe in anything, still Islam accommodates them. But if, unfortunately, the majority of Muslims today, as we see, they are not following the noble teachings of Islam. Their own religion, because sometimes it's, it's very, uh, I mean, very uh, shocking that they do not even appreciate what they really stand for. Because when you look at their, their acts, what they are engaged in, what they are doing, and how they are, you know, through their actions, tarnishing the image of Islam, and then you look at the... the the, the beautiful model of Holy Prophet Muhammad and the beautiful teachings that are narrated, you know, that are uh, explained in the, in the Holy Quran, then you wonder that where is the alignment? There is, they do not align together. So simply when you say why there is dishonesty, why there is corruption, why there is conflict, the simple reason is that the Muslims have forgotten their legacy. The legacy which was uh, established by the the toil of our Holy Prophet and he and the, the the sacrifices of the earlier Sahaba, the companions of the Holy Prophet Muhammad and his disciples. Right. What is the to your mind? Um, why do you think uh, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed has also been talking about? Um, repeatedly talking about the importance of uh, establishing a relationship with God Almighty and, and how does that relate to establishing justice in the world? Yes, exactly. The, you see, the, uh, if you look at the, the teachings of Islam and uh, most especially the, the, the teaching, the sayings of the Holy Prophet and you critically observe them, all those the saints which are talking about the social aspects of a human's life or a Muslim's life. The Prophet always mentioned that if you are not at peace with, uh, with your fellow human beings, then you are not at peace with God. Like it is, it is always a two-way two, uh, two uh, relationship. It is not that you can call yourself a religious person and at the same time you are not at peace with your fellow human beings, no matter what his, his uh, beliefs and, and uh, practices are. So the, 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 His Holiness, the current Khalifa or the, the Supreme Head of the Worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, is drawing the attention towards this fundamental principle simply because the Muslims have forgotten the, their, their own, uh, the, the teachings that they stand for and the Prophet's example have been neglected and they are doing their own things. And 
quite possibly they have their own agenda. So the 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 it is Arzur thinks that uh, he believes I should say, and he knows that it is his fundamental you know duty to bring back that legacy of Islam because today he is the prince of peace. He is the leader of the the Muslim Ummah, whether they believe it or not. So through the Arabic community. Because he, we believe that he's the current successor, he's our Khalifa of the time. Then, being uh, conscious of the fact that it is his duty to draw the attention of the Muslims to the Ahmadis. So, it is fundamentally, you can say, primarily, it is our duty who accept that Khalifa of the time, that, uh, uh, I mean, uh, leader, then we should set those examples again. And we should link ourselves back to the the role model, the the the, the model of the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and early companions of it. So that is the reason that Hazrat is trying his best to establish that connection with God, because which is fundamental to the establishment of peace and justice. Because Allah enjoins justice and doing the good to others. Hmm. So justice. Cannot be established without doing good to others. When you think about others, so if you are steadfast in the cause of Allah, then you have to be at peace with the fellow human beings. That is what the the, the current Khalifa uh, of Islam, that is our Hazrat, uh, has been drawing the attention at every forum. And the you can say the the first addressee. First of all, we are those who are directing of of those, you know, guidance, and then we have to take uh, lit the candle from another candle. So we have to keep spreading this beautiful message. Imam, what would you say to to those people? And and there are quite a few of uh, of those in the world today who say that it's actually religion, which is the cause of all strife and problems in the world today. <laughs> yes, you see, uh, uh, it, it comes back to the same point. And you see, let me give you just a small illustration. There is someone who sells charcoal, and there is someone who sells perfume. And it is impossible for a charcoal seller to come to you that his clothes are dirty with the charcoal, and you can even feel the, the scent of charcoal, and then he comes and claims that, oh, I am a perfume seller. I have a beautiful uh, sh- a shop where I have the most, you know, expensive and the beautiful and the fragrances that you have never seen. It's impossible. If you are, you are selling a perfume, then it should show from you. Hmm. you see? So hmm. if we are... You, say, you, see, if we you, you should be smelling uh, of that perfume. Yes. So if we are saying that we are uh, we are religious, or you can say somebody claims to be a religious person, and at the same time creating disorder in society, then what kind of religion is that? Because according to Islam, the fundamental thing is that when you progress on the road of uh, morality, and you begin to uh, do things in, in a right manner, then you become a civilized human being. And then you step ahead then you become a moral being. It is then that you become a, a spiritual being. So how come that you claim to be at the third point of that progress? 
the spiritual progress. And at the same time, you have not yet even achieved the fundamental, which means that you are not even a civilized human being. Because civilized humanity demands from us that we create peace in society. We create peace around us. And we become the, 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 the ambassadors of peace. So, yes, they are true who object on Islam or any other religion, that the religion is the, the root cause of the, all the problems, but because they see people claiming from their mouth to be religious and at the same time creating disorder. But it is, I, I should say again, it is our duty and it is their duty also to also keenly observe whether or not these people who do, the, who do create disorder in the society are they really religious? Or it is just a claim, because it is not just the, the beating of the drum that you, you, from the word of your mouth, that you say something and, and uh, that is it. No, it must reflect on your, on your character. So the, the problem is not the religion. It's the problem is those who are following the religions. Or I should say, Islam is not the problem. Mm. It is the Muslims. Not Muslims, all Muslims, but some Muslims who are engaged in such acts of whatever we see around, who are, you know, tarnishing the image of Islam, and then ultimately the, the other people who see from outside the picture, they, they blame Islam. But uh, it is not the problem with Islam. It is the problem with those who practice it, and they do not even, you know, uh, to the fundamentals of this beautiful religion. Sure. So, if we, if we talk about the the tenets of Islam, if we talk about the teaching of the Holy Quran. Holy Quran actually sets a very very high standard for Muslims. Um, and um, uh, Holy Quran also talks about um, being a witness against yourself or even your parents um, and kindred, yes. if 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 needs be, uh, if need be. Um, so my question would be, um, in today's day and age, is that even possible? It's difficult, but that is what we are mm. supposed to achieve. You know, it's difficult. You know, it's difficult. It's easy say than done, but this is the reason that we have the role models of uh, those who came to change, bring about a revolution in the, in the society. Yeah. All the prophets who were sent by Allah the Almighty, that is what exactly they came to do. You see, so, if it is, it is not easy, but it, is, it becomes easy when you, you really believe in, in, in your Creator, in your God. Because the, the, when you have that uh, faith in your heart, that the real reward comes from God, then you try to, to you know, um, practice those things which are demanded by the Holy Quran. Now, Quran has really set a very high standard, like against your parents, against your your kinder or whoever. And even if you observe here in this verse of the Holy Quran, which you have not quoted, but you have made mention of that verse of the Holy Quran, uh, that is, uh, be strict in observance of justice and be witnesses for Allah, even though it be against yourself and against parents and kindred, whether he be rich or poor. So he mentions the rich and poor after he mentions the, 
the parents and kinder because this is the point or this is the place where you are likely to slip you know sometimes we we do good or we we try to bring about justice but there is a time that when we are likely to compromise when it is against our very close relationship but but the but the, why this demand is there you know the this demand is based on the fundamental principle of justice and you cannot create justice if you do not practice it to its extreme the reason is that the the larger interest of society is always greater than your individual or personal interest and in islam you, if you if you observe then you will see that always the large thing has to sacrifice for the uh, sorry the small thing has to sacrifice for the large thing and that is even the nature if you observe nature it is always the smallest thing which has to sacrifice for the larger thing so in the same principle the la- my personal interest means nothing when the interest of the whole nation is at stake so this is the reason it is quite possible that your personal individual interest at some point in time in your life may be the interest of your parent or your kinder or your very close relation so you at that moment you must be prepared to sacrifice it because you must look ahead hmm. at the larger interest of the society because today compromising justice at this point in time you are likely to compromise the a very you know huge interest of the whole society so this is the thing because in the end in the end allah knows the best you see that's why the later part of the verse says that if you conceal the truth or evade it then remember that allah is well aware of what you do so what happens is that we may compromise today but the suffering will come to the larger group of the side so when we practice it we always earn respect and it is the history of mankind in the history of religion you can see many many hundreds of examples which are there as shining examples that how many times that the this from uh, i mean principle or practice you may uh, just uh, flip in my mind that once hazrat abubakar hazrat umar bin al khattab even gave the punishment a very severe punishment to his own son in public mm-hmm. because his son made a mistake which attracts a punishment and he didn't say that okay let it uh, i mean uh, just maybe ignore it mm-hmm. or do not uh, i mean do uh, the punishment but he announced the punishment and let it come to so even today even today you and me, me and you we know that the historians write great things about umar bin al khattab hmm. because why was that because he was very much aware of this fundamental principle of justice which is based on this principle that no matter what no matter who comes in your way that you must establish the peace to end respect for yourself and to also save the larger groups of the of the larger society excellent thank you so very much imam ali mahmood from joining for joining us all the way from ghana this was very enlightening really enjoyed talking to you have a lovely weekend ahead thank you so very much
Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Peace be with you. So that was Imam Ali Mahmood, uh, uh, our ma- missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Ghana, also talking about this absolute need for justice in the society and quoted an example from the second caliph of Islam, Hazrat Umar bin Khattab. Um, may Allah be pleased with him, who um, established absolute justice in his during his reign and uh, uh, and his reign is something which is actually celebrated by many, um, uh, many authors and and, and many uh, authors from all sorts of um, uh, creeds uh, and backgrounds. Right. Let me now uh, play a short audio clip of His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed, the current and the fifth head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. May Allah be his helper. Um, this address was given by him at the first ever National Peace Symposium in Canada back in 2016. Do listen in. Human nature is such that it is impossible for people to agree on everything. And so disagreement will occur from time to time. But the key is to solve the, those disputes with justice and fairness, rather than to prioritize one's own interests above others. To bring any conflict to an end, justice is a prerequisite. If a person is not fair and ethical, then whatever grievance, uh, grievance or problem exists will only escalate. Rather than peace, all that will be, uh, that will, uh, all that will be achieved will be increasing hatred and contempt. Thus, at many places in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty has commanded Muslims about being just and treating others in the best way. In chapter 4, verse 136, the Holy Quran demands the very highest possible standards of justice. It requires that a Muslim should be willing to forego all of their personal interests for the sake of the truth. Muslims are commanded to put aside their own desires or personal relationships and to be witnesses for the sake of Allah, the Almighty. This verse instructs that a person must even be willing to testify against himself, his parents, and his loved ones in order to establish justice. Islam teaches that a Muslim's first loyalty must always be to the truth. And so a person must never hide the facts or give false testimony. A person should not be governed by his own personal desires. On, as as uh, this leads to bias and prejudice and takes a person away from what is fair and what is right. This enlightened principle is the means to solve 
the problems of the world and to transform all forms of hatred into peace, tolerance, and mutual respect. Furthermore, in chapter 16, verse 91 of the Holy Quran, Allah directs Muslims to not only speak the truth and to be just, but to favor others. Yet, even this is not the limit of the Quran's teachings. Because when a person bestows a favor on others, there remains the possibility that he will seek something in return or will, uh, will remind the person of the benefit he has conferred upon them. Therefore, the Quran says that a person should give like kindred. This means that a Muslim should treat others as though he would treat his close family members and loved ones. It means that a person should offer sympathy and compassion and be willing to serve others without any expectations. Just as a mother serves and selflessly nourishes her child without any desire for reward or recompense. This is the altruistic and benevolent spirit that Islam advocates and teaches, wherein it calls on Muslims to open their hearts for the good of mankind. If acted upon, this golden principle will knock down the, the walls of hatred that have been erected all around us. It will shatter the barriers that divide mankind. It is the key to peace at a personal level, within the wider society and at an international level. Regrettably, throughout history, conflicts have arisen between nations, and this sorrowful trend continues today. So those were the beautiful words of His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, the current head of the MD Muslim community, may Allah be his helper, and talking about uh, the beautiful teachings of Islam. Let me now go to our last guest um, for this segment, uh, who is Mr. Munir Deen. Mr. Munir Deen is the member of the UK External Affairs Department and works um, and helps cover external uh, events um, as well as managing guests from external bodies within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Drive Time Show. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Dean, for joining us. So you are a part, you're part of a team that organizes peace conferences and you've been doing so over the past uh, number of years. Why do you think His Holiness has been focusing on the topic of um, establishing justice and absolute justice in the world today? Well, you know, if we just look at um, some of the challenges um, that we've been ex uh, experiencing in the world, um, you know, facing the whole of humanity, um, you know, the sort of um, geopolitical clashes that we are seeing uh, amongst the major powers, 
the clashes within societies on the basis of religion and race, um, the economic disparities that we are seeing, which is leading to um, food shortages and hunger and poverty, disease, um, which has uh, been covering most of the world. I mean, the COVID was a good example of that, which lasted you know, a number of years. And then the, the other aspects like climate change and the national uh, natural disasters that the world has been facing, um, which has brought you know a lot of suffering to, to, to humanity. You know, the number of earthquakes, floods, wildfires, uh, fires, um, all of these things have caused um, issues, not just in the developing world, but also in much of the developed world. Um, and it's causing, you know, huge um, amount of um, suffering for human beings um, and has increased the risks of war. Um, we've seen that, obviously, with the situation in the Ukraine war, but also we see the problems between China and um, uh, Russia and the United States and Europe all based on their individual um, aspirations for power and for their peoples. So His Holiness has, you know, has been really been focusing on the central theme that, you know, that we should be looking at the common good of hmm. all peoples, not just of ourselves. Um, and, you know, that has been the key message through his um, various speeches throughout the year, not just at the peace conferences, but also um, at our annual gatherings. So, Mr. Dean, you know, it sounds pretty fundamental and pretty basic and pretty common common sense as well. The need the, that there should be absolute justice in the world, that we should all work for the common good, uh, and a lot of politicians actually talk about that and certainly uh, talk the talk. Why do you think this all this uh, has been the best kept secret in the world? That uh, so much so that the majority of the population, especially in the West. Uh, and even to a large degree in the East as well, in the Far East especially, um, are not aware or generally think uh, or happen to think that uh, there is generally justice and fair play in, in international politics? Well, I don't, I don't think that would be an accurate representation. I mean, if you right. see the strife that we see, um, you know, you, you take the most developed countries for... You know, we, we take the last 40 to 50 years. Um, could we ever think that great major powers would be struggling internally as they are um, on many fronts, you know, whether you take the United States or Europe? These, these were um, countries which had a histories of perhaps long periods of stability. Um, but even there, we, we are beginning to see that there are, you know, different movements in each of these countries, uh, different interest groups, um, which are fighting each other, hmm. um, and and you know the combination of both. You know, I I think there's something. You know, when you listen to many of the people from these countries, they think there's something is very much missing from their lives, um, and, which, you know, as as His Holiness is a spiritual leader, he believes the the solution to this is is a spiritual one, where one, you know, human beings need to connect to a bigger power and recognize that we are all creations of that power, which is God. Let me uh, give you an example. So let's look at this crisis in Ukraine at the moment, for example. Um, so if you ask um, anybody in the West, they would say that uh, 
the entire fault is with Russia. If you asked any Russian or, for that matter, a person from China or even from India, they would say that it's uh, it's the West's fault. Uh, the truth always lies as they say, somewhere in the middle and there are always two sides of the story. Yet nobody is willing to believe that. Um, and, and, and that is probably why we are where we are. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, because there have been injustices and... Um, committed on 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 both sides right right and you know that's that's the the answer i mean you know the the west has also um, you know when you talk about russia going into ukraine and and uh, impacting the sovereignty of another country well there's many examples of that interference from the west from nato um equally right so there's some hypocrisy and um, uh, you know the inlets that is not really i mean each one of these regions is still looking at the interests of their own peoples um mm. and, and and much of the and the hence problem, the, that uh, that absolute justice or that uh, that teaching of absolute justice is missing i mean there, there is certainly a talk but there's no walking the talk in the west or in the east no and and but but I, but I, but I, I think it's the common man is, is beginning to realize this. I mean, right. we just have to see that we we live in the twenty first century, and just in in this year, two thousand five hundred people have lost their lives mm. in trying to move to countries and areas of stability. Yeah, um, which which is quite incredible, right? Yes. With with all our advancement in the world, mm. that um, this situation should be occurring. Yeah, it's very sad, actually. So, um, Mr. Dean, what do you think that we should be doing as individuals then, or we can do uh, as individuals in our own spheres to play a part to establish a more just world? Well, I, I think, you know, just looking at the guidance that we have had um, from His Holiness in the way he has been directing the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, it's been a combination of both bottom-up and top-down and from the top-down aspect, it is obviously trying to work and influence um, policymakers um, in power, um, you know, as a community. And then on the bottom-up side, is to reach out and make a direct contribution um, in our own spheres of life. And you know, both of these have to be done in combination. It's not just working on a platform on a community level, but he's also on an individual level um, as well, um, you know, with the societies that we are directly impacting um, or, you know, interacting with on a daily basis as well. So it's a combination of both these levels of uh, of how we work as a community and how we also work as individuals. Sure. Mr. Dean, thank you so very much for joining us. Um, really enjoy talking to you. Have a lovely weekend ahead. Peace thank with you. you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So that was uh, Mr. Munideen, who is a member of the external affairs team here within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Let me now play a, a clip from the um, address His Holiness, Hazrat Mr. the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, delivered at the peace conference back in 2019, where he talked about the need for justice between nations and also gave the example of the Treaty of Medina 1400 years ago. Let's listen in. According to Islam, for peace to prevail, justice between nations is a prerequisite. Where countries face difficulties, other nations should seek to 
help them selflessly without pushing their own agendas. For example, the Holy Quran states that if there is a war or conflict between two parties, other nations should mediate impartially and seek to bring about a peaceful settlement. However, if one side continues to be unjust and does not move towards peaceful outcome, then the other nations should unite together to stop the aggressor. Once the aggressive nations or party refrain from wrongdoing, Islam categorically instructs that revenge should not be sought through unjust sanctions or by plundering their resources. However, time and again, we have seen examples of countries that have intervened in war-torn nations or given aid to deprived countries on the pretext of bringing peace but have attached strings that enable them to take control of the weaker country's resources. Rather than being content with their own wealth, powerful countries seek to assert their control over weaker nations. As I have said, the root cause of frustration and resulting hostility, whether in the East or the West, is economic injustice. And so it is essential that a concerted effort is made to bridge the economic divide amongst nations and their people. Furthermore, we must unite in our efforts to end all forms of extremism and prejudice, whether religious, racial, or of any other kind. Whether it is clear, uh, where it is clear that people are suffering and that their leaders are not protecting their rights, those international organizations founded for the sake of preserving the peace of the world, notably the United Nations, should exercise lawful and proportionate pressure in order to defend the rights of law-abiding citizens and to push for peace and justice. In terms of Islam, you may wonder what it can teach us about bringing peace in the world when much of the instability and conflict in recent years has centered around Muslim countries. Yet, the sorry state of those nations is because they have moved far away from the true teachings of Islam. To get an accurate portrayal of Islamic governance and leadership, we should look to the era of the founder of Islam. The Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him. After the Holy Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, migrated to the city of Medina, he formed a covenant with the Jewish people, whereby the Muslims and the Jewish citizens were to live together peacefully and with the spirit of mutual sympathy, tolerance, and equity. The covenant proved to be a magnificent correct, uh, charter of human rights and governance and ensured peace between the different communities living in Medina. According to its terms, all people, regardless of their faith or ethnicity, were bound to respect the rights of one another. 
freedom of belief and freedom of conscience were cornerstones of that treaty. Unity underpinned the agreement whereby it, if Medina was attacked or threatened, the Muslims and Jews would join forces to defend it, defend it together and as one. Further, each community had the right to solve their internal issues according to their respective beliefs and customs. History testifies to the fact that the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, upheld every aspect of that agreement. As immigrants, the Muslims sought to serve their new society and to respect the rights of all citizens of Medina. It was an outstanding example of successful integration and a manifestation of a peaceful and tolerant multicultural society. The Treaty of Medina was based directly upon the teachings of the Holy Quran. For example, the Holy Quran states in chapter 16, verse 91, that verily Allah enjoins justice and the doing of good to others and giving like kindred. Thus, the Holy Quran has outlined three levels of engagement with other people and other communities. The first and minimum level is of justice, whereby the Holy Quran advocates the need to treat everyone fairly and equitably. The standards of justice required by Islam are outlined in chapter 4, verse 136 of the Holy Quran, which states, O ye who believe, be strict in observing justice and be witnesses for Allah, even though it be against yourselves or against parents and kindred, whether he be rich or poor, Allah is more regardful of uh, them both than, uh, of, uh, um, uh, regard, uh, regardful of them both than you are. Therefore, follow not low desires so that you may be able to act equitably. And if you conceal the truth or evade it, then remember that Allah is well aware of what you do. Hence, according to the Quran, justice requires that a person is willing to testify even against himself and his most loved ones in order to guard and protect the truth. The second level of engagement advocated by the Holy Quran is that a person should not only be just but should go beyond it by doing good to others, by manifesting generosity and forgiveness. As I have already mentioned, the Holy Quran teaches that once you have successfully stopped an aggress aggressive nation from inflicting further cruelties, you should not seek revenge or impose hardship upon it. Rather, you should seek to help them build up their economy and infrastructure. Where this will help them, it will also help you in the long term. If those countries who have been centers of war or division are enabled to prosper economically, they will no longer harbor frustration or bear hatred for other countries. 
So that was His Holiness Hazrat Mesa Masrur Ahmed. During a talk he gave at the National Peace Symposium back in 2019. And with these wise words, let me bring this show to an end. We were talking about, in the last one hour or so, the need for establishing absolute justice in the world, um, something which is starkly missing from geopolitics, um, especially in the world, and something which, unfortunately, as His Holiness Hazrat Mr. Masood Ahmed has been warning the world, is taking the world ever closer to another great war, unfortunately. As justice was our, our topic today, let me close the show by repeating this verse from the Holy Quran, from chapter 4, verse 59, wherein Allah says, Allah, verily, Allah commands you to make over the trusts to those entitled to them, and that when you judge between men, you judge with justice. And surely excellent is that with which Allah admonishes you.